This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. Comics are now getting the sort of respect that they never used to command. So you've got Watchmen, you've got Preacher, you've got Sandman, you've got Walking Dead, so you've got the TV series feeding interest in the comics. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? As a boy, I was a devotee of American comic books. And as a middle-aged man, I've seen all 22 of the uh, Marvel superhero films. I think (laughs) most of us have. But to be honest, I'm a little out of touch with the comic books uh, right now. I'm talking to Joel Meadows, who's written a book called Masters of Comics, which is it's interviews with or um, looks at comic artists in their workspace and how how they how they work. Joel, how nice of you to talk Hello. to me. Hello. I want to talk about who you are to begin with. Yes. Uh, because you're quite interesting as well as the book. You run Portsmouth Comic Con. That's right. Um, I didn't know there was one in Portsmouth. And uh, there's one in Shrewsbury. And the, I, th- I know the one in XL in London. But um, Comic Con is what? That's, that's really where I was going with this. Comic Con is what? Well, well in theory, the, the word Comic Con, well, it's changed. It used to be... A place where you'd have comic creators and it still is that but you also have the celebrity element now so you get people from tv and film like london film and comic-con had i think david Tennant last year and the xl show has a lot of celebrities so it's it's a comic show but it also has tv and film elements to it it has changed it's i guess it started because it was an american idea you know, san diego, san diego and yeah. new york now which gets something like one hundred fifty thousand people um, so it started life as a show about comics, and now it's comics and related areas. So is that your connection to comics that you that you do that? Because you you've got a, an online magazine as well. I, I googled you, of course. Yes. <laughs> so you've got a, an online magazine called Tripwire. That's right. And what what's Tripwire about? Tripwire started life as a magazine, as a physical print mag in 1992, where we covered uh, comics and music. We dropped the music out in '99, and we swapped that um, with film and excuse me, film and TV. Um, and we swapped to the web in 2015. So it's comics, film, TV, and the occasional thing that takes my fancy. I'm interested in the illustration as well, and a little bit of art. We try not to veer too much off the, the subject, but I have slightly broader interests. So I've also worked as a journalist. I used to write for Comic Heroes. I write for Comic Scene. I've done stuff for Full Bleed, which is the IDW magazine, which covers sort of comics and culture. I've written for The Times, uh, Time Magazine, Independent, so, a lot of other places. Well, let's look at... Uh, Masters of Comics. Um, the first thing that strikes you um, when you look at it is how ravishingly beautiful yes. the art in this is. Yes. Um, and for for many of us, I mean, my my background in comic books is you know it was all cheap paper, four course, color separations, and um, uh, artists, some of whom were marvelous. Yes. But not one of them looked as though they'd been through art school. Yes. Um, these days, it's it's a very different. Well, the, 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 the sheer beauty of this, is, and, and it, the, I have to say the, the book is lavishly illustrated, Thank, yes, yes, yes. Um, is, is quite breathtaking. Yes. Well, I mean, the thing is, there have always been artists who've worked in comics who have, you know, trained professionally either at art school or, 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 they've, had, or they've been, um, you know, working with other artists. Uh, Liam Sharp, who isn't in the book, who's a British artist based in the States, he worked under Don Lawrence, who did the Trigon Empire, and he did Storm. So he was, you know, working with him. Um, but as you say, some of them go to art college, some are self-trained, um, and and some others like Jim Lee, who is a very well-known, you know, he's now 
almost at the very top of, of DC. He he did a, I believe he, did, he went to Harvard, he did a psychology degree rather interestingly, and he changed tack um, to move to move into art. But a lot of these people, they are, they are professionally trained artists, or, if they're, or they're self-taught. But I, I guess has the industry changed? They've always had some very talented artists working in comics, but as you say, in the reproduction in the old days, it was a slightly tatty-looking magazine that people would pay 25 or 30 people on a newsstand somewhere. But now, you know, the quality of reproduction, as it is with, with all kinds of printing, has got a lot better and a lot sharper, and they can really show off these people's work. And charge closer. a lot more money for it as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes, significantly you know, the, more, the, yes. The, 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 the original art is, the original art is, is staggering. Like, the actual art from some of these comics is 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 incredible. If you wanted to piece get a piece of original art from some of the... Not even the very top practitioners, but even the the ones who are kind of in the middle, if you like, you're still talking thousands of pounds. Oh, I always wanted a piece of original art from Jack Kirby, which of course. Well, now that would cost you thousands. It, it's now, prohibited. These uh, days, not of only course. that, but my wife wouldn't let me put it up. Well, no, so, of course. <laughs> no, exactly. Be completely redundant. But the, uh, the yes, the art is uh, that does well. It's, it, it sort of leads us on to uh, a question because, of course. A lot of these artists sell their art on. One of them, who was it, that said uh, um, that he he makes half his income out of selling the original art. Rather well, Sean than just... Phillips in the book talks about how he does. He returns to doing physical art because he was doing digital, which is now all on the computer, and he was losing out on that secondary income. So he swapped back to painting. So he now physically paints some of his pieces because he can sell them. And it is it is a major thing. There are artists, you know, they have fans that come to shows to pick up their work. And it's all well and good, you know, buying a, a print, but it's not the same as having a physical page or a physical piece. And uh, some of the artists don't make anything like as much money from selling on their original, but they presumably could if they do that. Yes. Uh, one of the questions you ask um, most of your artists is um, whether they do traditional, you know, with a pen and yes. a piece of a pencil or whether they do it online. I was very interested to find almost all of them said no, traditional methods. Yes. Um, my daughter loves, is very good, very, very okay. good artist. And she does, yeah, of course, she does with, with pens and things. Yes. And lots on, on, on the tablet. Yes. I was I was expecting to find most of these these artists in your, in your book um, doing it digitally. Yes, because I've I've seen what she does. It you can get oh you can do phenomenal results. work. You can and do. And yet most of them do go in for um, a, a pencil. Yes, and a, yes, and <laughs> yes. A, a brush with ink. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's, I think it was I think it could have been Lawrence Campbell in the book who said that he likes drawing physically because he likes the mistakes that you make. Because sometimes you make mistakes which enhance the art, you know, whereas if everything is too precise, then you, you don't get the happy accidents that these artists like to achieve and go, oh, actually, that's better than I was hoping it was going to be. Uh, because if you can fix everything, then there's no challenge. You think the publishers like that? Well, and I'm sure the publishers aren't that keen on that. But, but the artists, they enjoy, you know, the challenge and the fact that they can make mistakes. And, and by fixing those mistakes, they can solve the problem in a more interesting way and get a piece that they're, that they're happier with than if they had something which is so precise that if they don't like a line that they create on the computer, they can just go into Photoshop and clone it out or, or redraw it. And they, they like that sort of lack of preciseness, if you like. They like the fact that the stuff looks more organic because they've hand-drawn it. One of the things you do is you, you, you as well as uh, the, the illustrations of the, of the pictures, of the drawings, yes. uh, you show us... Uh, 
either the artist in his workspace or sometimes the workspace <laughs> with the artist mysteriously missing. Yes. Um, what, does, what does that tell us, though, about, about the artists when we, we see where they're working? Well, it's got a, it's, I think it has a double purpose, actually, because an artist's workspace, it reflects their mindset and reflects the stuff that they enjoy, but it also feeds back into them. So, for example, if they're working and they want reference for something, so they're drawing a specific piece or a specific project, and they go, oh, I've always been a big fan of this particular artist or, or I've got these figures... I think Lawrence Campbell mentions well, he's got figures that he uses for specific reference. So it's there as a very direct influence on the work that they create. And it's also there to create almost, if you like, a comfortable space that they can work in and go, you know, this is my space. They spend, some of these artists spend hours in their studios every day and they want somewhere that they're happy working in, that they feel that they can express themselves the best in, in a space that they feel comfortable working in. And a lot of them is in, in their home, of course, because that gives you a zero commute, which is great, and you don't have to pay business rates on, a, on other premises. Um, for some of them, that must be a drawback, though. I mean, there used to be little studios where three or four artists would get together, and that must be a... a you'd think that would be a sort of a, a, a nurturing, a creative space. Well, some artists do still work outside. Frank Quietly, who's in the book, um, he worked in a very small space with two other artists in Glasgow, um, and his space is, I would say, half the size of my lounge. Oh, but he's, he's particularly he's particularly tiny. Yes. I mean, he used to have a, another space in his Hope Street Studios, but, but he, he works on a Wacom, on a tablet. But he's very, very precise. Um, and it's amazing he can create this phenomenon. He used to, you know, I think he used to draw physically and he switched. Um, I mean, he's had some health concerns, unfortunately. He had very bad sciatica because a lot of these artists have spent hours sitting and yeah. it does... Terrible things to your back. You, you need one of those Fitbits to tell you to yes. get up and walk well, no, around exactly. the room every hour. So he has a tiny space. You know, conversely, uh, Walt Simonson is in his house. But he has a beautiful workspace. Will Simpson did have two different studios, but he lost them because they sold the house. So he's now working from home. But it really varies. Some people have a tiny workspace. Some uh, Sean Phillips has a very nice. It's sort of like an extension where he's to his house, and he's got loads of movie posters and lots of really lovely books around it so it really varies it depends they i guess they sometimes suit their workspace to suit their work patterns and the way that they work would you talk about frank quietly that that, that brings me to an another thing that strikes me and that's how fantastically slow this process is yes. john paul leon says a 20-page book it will take him eight weeks mm. to pencil and ink which is yes. to do, you know the the the, the pencil and exactly then, and then ink over it to, to so you can reproduce yes it. if frank quietly two pages a week mm. I, you know in, in in a week jack kirby would have done three 20 page books now they weren't as, as elaborate yes of course they and and he was unbelievably quick but back then yes artists were much more i mean the, these guys would starve to death oh yes for stan lee no that that's very true i mean they have to Things have changed. I mean, Sean Phillips can do, I think he can do, he can do two books a month, I think. So he can do, we can definitely do at least one book a month. He's quicker. Mm. He's a much faster artist, but I guess things have changed. You know, Frank Quietly is very in demand and he mainly just does covers now and he does variant covers. He doesn't do tons of interiors and when he does work, you know, he's very well paid for it. Deservedly so, because he's a phenomenal artist. Um... But being well paid for it is also an innovation. It's also something that... Oh, it's, a, it's changed. And also, know, yes. 50 years ago, uh, it was extremely badly paid. Oh, no. As well it, was, as it was like it's almost like working in a sweatshop. Despised... You know, people would get paid a pittance and they'd have to, as you say, have to turn things around very fast. But if you look at things like books, I mean, if I'm right, I think Michael Moorcock used to write a novel a week Did when he really? was writing Elric and some of his other fantasy novels. 
because he had well, he could he got into a rhythm and I don't know, he was able to turn stuff out really, really like fast. Seminole, who uh, Seminole used to do a yes, novel I think, in three weeks. Yes, exactly. Um, um so I mean as you say, they didn't have the luxury back then of being able to work slowly, but now because the industry has changed so much and people like Frank Quietly as well as comics, they do illustration. I mean, quietly there was a very first exhibition, had an exhibition of his art at the Kelvin Grove, which I, I was lucky enough to go around with him. I guess it would have been a couple of years ago. And the Kelvin Grove is one is the most prestigious art gallery in Glasgow. And it had a whole like a massive room dedicated to his work. And it, it just shows that comics are now getting the sort of respect that they never used to command, even from the you know, from the mainstream art world. And it, it's really interesting to look at that. I went to a Robert Crumb exhibition at this place in Mayfair about I guess about two or three years ago, and it's one of these things where you go back 10 to 15 years before that, and they wouldn't even let him through the door. Yeah. And now there's all these pieces of his work. So it, the people's perception, even people that didn't consider comics to be proper art, it's changed so dramatically in the last five to ten years, really. It must have a big impact, though, on, on the economics of it. Um, comics must be much more expensive and of course they have these uh, graphic novels yes which um uh, somebody once said uh, it's a big comic <laughs> yes um but if you are going to be doing two pages a week yes then presumably there has to be a much higher price on the finished product well well you mean the actual things that people purchase yeah, well, i mean yeah you, if you see yourself as comics are sort of three or four pounds each now whereas in the old days they would have been 12 cents exactly or 50p <laughs> or 75p or so, I bought, so they are I bought one on ebay um, yes an old defenders comic yes. which has a particularly good cover yes uh, which was i think 12 cents and it had been brought out and it had four p yes oh yes written, exactly written on the front yes. in, in felt pen that, yes because uh, that's what it was when yes. when they brought it over yes but no i mean it has changed it has the economics have changed in the, in the last few years, but I mean, these people they supplement their income with other work. So uh, Frank Quietly's done illustration work. He worked with Grant Morrison on a, I think, a Robbie Williams album, which is work which is obviously higher paid than the comic job. But he did a Grant Morrison portrait. I think that was for Playboy. And these other people like Sean Phillips. The other thing that's interesting about these artists is that a lot of them do work which is you know creator owned. In the old days, the companies owned everything. And now Sean Phillips works with an American writer called Ed Brubaker, and they are exclusive to Image, the company that publishes them. And I think at least one or two of them things have been picked up for TV. And so they're able to sort of steer their own destiny now. And they own all of this stuff. So when trades and paper, you know, reprints come out, they get royalties on that. And they get a much better deal than they would have done in the old days when they've got just a very basic royalty. And then the company would take the lion's share of the money in terms of profit do they do they sell big though i remember in the in the 80s uh it, people got very excited when uh, frank miller's daredevil and chris claremont's x-men yes. were moving like six hundred thousand copies a month now that seemed to me pretty big numbers yes um are, are we are, are still in that no uh, we don't no, just be honest the biggest books sell now i mean it's a fraction of that the biggest books sell between sort of 60 to eighty thousand a month it has shrunk, but then you've got the graphic novel market when you can get a graphic novel which can be selling as much as, say, 10,000 copies a month. I mean, well, something, I see, something like Watchmen. I was going to say, Watchmen is just behind you. Yes, it's your constantly shoulder. back in print. And I, I remember hearing that when that came, when the film, and the run up to the film, apparently that sold a million copies in paperback. Holy cow. And that, they're doing a new printing of that, I think, this month because, you know, there's the TV series starting later mm. in the year. So there are these cash cows. So you've got Watchmen, you've got. Uh, Preacher, you've got Sandman, um, you've got Walking Dead, obviously, which is a massive phenomena. 
So you've got the TV series feeding interest in the comics. Have have the uh, American the the Avengers type movies had any impact on? Well, probably sales. probably on graphic novels, not on monthlies. Not I mean, monthlies monthly. they're fairly static. Both DC and Marvel, they, they seem to come they seem trying to come up with different ways to get people to pick up their titles. But they are they they are the numbers have plateaued. They're not they're not a fraction of the kind of numbers you were talking about. But they've got the graphic novel market, which they can sell into bookshops or, or comic shops or Amazon and these things can be perennial sellers so you know you've got Panini putting out um, Marvel reprints and you know DC have a huge backlist of their own graphic novels so these books you know these are the backbone of their titles and image you know Walking Dead I, I seem to remember reading that that sold something like between 10 and 15,000 copies a month and that's the trade paperback which is a 15 to 20 pound yeah. collection rather than a three pound comic and these things are constantly in print and you know, if people pick up the new one, that they'll want the good chance to pick up the older titles. So they have, you know, God knows how many trades there must be. There must be 20, over twenty Walking Dead trades, and and they all, they all these companies they survive in their backlist, as as book publishers used to do. So the model has changed a lot for comics. So graphic novels probably bring in more money in some ways. The monthlies and the comics they produce are almost like a loss leader for the companies. Was there anybody that you wanted in the book? that you didn't get and i know this is actually it's a, a, a sequel isn't it there was a previous well, yeah, it's a follow-up there was a book with, so, for instance, that frank miller yes. isn't in in, in he, was, he was in the first he one, was yes. in the first one it was more of a challenge he, he proved to be impossible to get for the second one we got him for the first um howard chaykin who's quite a well-known american comic creator sort of changed his mind he decided not to be and he's in the first one but he decided not to be in the second. Um, there were people who just didn't sort of quite work out, but I think we got a good, we have got a good mix, and we've got a good mix of different people from different eras, sort of That's slightly right. more and veteran artists the, the, the and, and more modern art. Exactly. Sinkevich, we couldn't get for the first one because he proved hard to pin down, but we got him for the, the new one, which I'm very pleased about. And uh, I was going to ask for about Dave Gibbons, but he's he's, he's in, in the first, first one. Yes. Neil yes. Adams? Did you? Uh, Neil Adams is a. Diff work, difficult man to deal with, so I think we'll, <laughs> that we didn't even consider him uh, for, for either of the books. He would have been great, but it just didn't, you know, I just don't think it would have worked. I tried to get Mobius for the first book, oh, right. but that didn't really happen. That was problematic. Obviously, he's no longer with us, but he was alive when we put the first book together, but it was, it was too challenging, to be honest, to come to an arrangement with his wife, sadly, so that didn't happen with the first book. I'm going to ask an invidious question. Yes, Do you have a favourite? Um, uh, or for uh, the it, for well, either in, book or in, in first, in, well, in Marshall comic. comics. Yeah. Well, it's 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 hard to pick. I'm very proud. <laughs> that I don't got, want you to say yeah, Marshall yeah, Rogers, and yeah. he's not in either. No, I got. I'm, I'm very <laughs> proud that I got Sinkevich because I've always been a huge fan of him as an artist, and I'm glad I, I got to pin him down. I mean, there are there. Uh, Walt Simonson is a friend of mine, so I'm pleased I got him. He's in both of those. Mm -hmm. um, I'm. I mean, I, I'm very proud. There, there isn't a chapter that I go, oh, you know, they're there just as a space filler. I think of all the. I think there's 22 artists, and I'm. I think they all serve a particular purpose. And even as far as Posey Simmons, who you, you don't yes. think of so much as a. Well, I, of course I want, she is. I like to have her in there just to mix it up a bit, and because she comes from a different discipline, and because she comes from illustration and from newspapers rather than comics, but. And also because she's marvellous. Well, she's fabulously talented. And also British as well. That was the thing I wanted. Quite a lot of have... British uh, yes. artists. I mean, there was a time when it was Barry Windsor Smith. And that was... No, there's a lot. Was... This yeah, country I... has changed a lot. Have... There's a lot of very talented. I mean, there was Sean Phillips in both of those. Lawrence Campbell in that. Um, Duncan Fogredo was in the first one. Uh, Chris Frank Weston. Quietly, we, of we course, yeah, yeah. He's very incredibly talented. So. so is there a best format for comic uh, for, for this art to be displayed um i'm i'm thinking you know is is it in in the sort of individual 
uh, one on the monthly? Is it in the, the the graphic novel? Is it on the wall? How's the best way? Well, that's, that's a good question. Up. I don't know. I mean, I, I I think it is nice to see them in graphic novels because the production of those is it's a lot stronger and it's a lot better than it used to be. So you can, I mean, I mean, what is nice, the way to see this stuff, and it's not cheap and not everyone can afford to do it, is actually buying the IDW, the artist editions, which are these oversized, which I've got a, a huge, a huge pile like of those. Yeah, they are, but, but they do, in terms of reproduction, and the closest you can get to actually having the original art without having to pay thousands of pounds, but they're not cheap, but they do give you a flavor of how the art looked when they, you know, when they're sent through to the publisher or the editor. But is that the best way to look at it? I mean, sh sh because that art was made to be of course. reproduced as a comic book. It was made to be uh, inked in and yes, coloured in yes, and, yes, and all of yes. that. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a question. That's, I that's suppose. Really, it, in fact, is the question yes. I asked. Well, I suppose it depends on how you want to appreciate these things. It depends if you're, you know, if you're a reader or whether you're a, an art aficionado. If you're an art aficionado, then probably something like the artist editions is, is a good... And you like thing. to get under the bonnet. You like to oh, see I, I, I do. Works. Yes, yes, I do. I find it fascinating. I've always been interested in it. You saw in the first book, I got to visit Joe Cubert, which was fascinating. I got to go to the Cubert School and interview, and I spent... I he, he's I spent not with half, us still. Sadly, he died Cubert. in 2006, yeah. I think. No, no, 2010 or 12. It was a few years ago, so yeah. sadly. But I, I do feel lucky that I got to visit him at the school and, and talk to him. So no, I, I feel, I mean, sadly in that book, Steve Dillon is no longer with us either. He used to draw for 2000 AD and he started Deadline and he co-created Preacher and sadly he died about two or three years ago. And Sergio Toppi was another very talented Italian artist. He went, so what's slightly sad is to look at the first book and realize that three or four of the subjects are no longer with us, but that's sort of the nature of the beast, I suppose. I was interested in how many of the artists I don't know. Yes. Uh, some of them, of course, I did. Yes. Um, if I was going to go back into the comic book store and say, you know, because I, I have been yes. deeply impressed with how lovely the, the drawing, who, where would I start? Who should I look at? Well, I guess the question is, what do you like to read uh, as a reader in terms of what subject, what genre do you enjoy? It was always the, the American comics when I was a kid. So yes. the superheroes was always the thing. Yes. Um, and that would probably be the way back in if I was if I wanted to. Um, pick it up. Again. I mean, there are some some strong superhero books. I mean, I guess that Brian Bendis, who used to work for Marvel, you know, swapped to DC, and he's now writing action comics and Superman, and they're they're quite fun books because he's got quite a good grasp of the characters. I when I was a kid, I used to read DC Comics Presents and Superman Action Comics, so yeah, I used to read the Superman books. Um, I mean, Tom King's doing quite a good job of of the Batman book at the moment. If you like superheroes he's doing he's been on it a, a great yeah for Batman's about the last the three or four years really. so he's done a, a good job so that that would be a good start and you could pick up probably the first couple of trades that he's written i mean are there any other genres that you enjoy apart from superheroes would you say i was never i was never much for the you know there are lots of graphic novels yes. where people think that they're, they're making the, the genre yes. grow up yeah so there's a lot of people standing around there's never your cup of tea yeah, and, I mean, what about uh, what about crime stuff, for example? Do you like, or is it not really your thing? Not especially. I mean, I like the Frank Miller Sin City stuff. I mean, if you like Miller's stuff, I mean, Eduardo Rizzo, who is in the book, uh, did this series called A Hundred Bullets with Brian Azzarello, which yes, is which yes. is a very strong series, which is, which finished. I think there are ten or twelve trades. That might be good. And actually, another book, the artist is not in the uh, book a series called Scouts, which is a basically a guy who's a Native American who goes undercover 
with sort of different criminals. He's an FBI agent. And that's actually a great series. That would make a great TV show. And that was done by Jason Aaron and drawn by a guy called R.M. Guerra, who's, I believe he's Croatian, but he lives in Spain. I'd recommend that. Because, you know, if you think about what you enjoy watching on TV, you know, if you like crime stuff or stuff like that, or detective series, then, then these are the equivalent, if you like, but just on the page. Joel, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. That's Joel Meadows, Masters of Comics. Uh, it's Insight. Indeed. Um, it's available from the 4th of June, officially uh, published. On the back it says $24.99. I think there's a hardback, is there, as uh, well? No, it was originally planned to be a hardback, okay. but it's coming out in paperback. Um, and there will be, um, shameless plug, if people, if people are based in London, there's a signing for the, sh for the uh, book on the 15th of June at Gosh in Soho with Posey Simmons, Lawrence Campbell and Sean Phillips. Um, and there might be a Waterstone signing in July, that but, but like I'm not fun. quite sure about that. But yeah, so if people are London-based, they're welcome to come along. But it will be available well, from they, They're welcome from to fly in well, as well. Well, they, they can do it as well. If, of course, they're more than welcome to come <laughs> from far and wide. So, uh, but yeah, if they're, if they're around on the 15th of June, and if, if, if any of your listeners are US-based, we have a, a, a event on, I think, the 3rd of October at the Society of Illustrators in New York with uh, two or three of the artists from the book and myself. So... If anyone is New York-based or East Coast-based and they're around and fancy coming to a talk, they'd be more than welcome to that as well. Good plan. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That was The Books Podcast with Tim Haig. The Books Podcast is produced by Green Shoot. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.